Christmas. Do you know the story? Or what you think do you know about the story? An unexpected pregnancy, a teenager wedding, a small town scandal, the reputation or lack of reputation of uh, Nazareth, the early death of a father, attempted murder. Do those all sound like the chapters of a nice Christmas story? That doesn't really sound like a nice Christmas story. Because a lot of us, when we think of Christmas, think of stories like these. Hallmark has a special present for you. Starting Christmas Eve at 8, all of this season's holiday premieres, commercial free. Our holiday gift to you. Starts Christmas Eve at 8, all through Christmas Day. Very sad thing, very sad thing. My dad actually quoted a Hallmark movie to me this week. I don't know, I can't remember what he said, but he actually said something, and he's like, it was terrible. But anyway, you know, that really isn't Christmas. But does Christmas sound more like this? Welcome to Los Angeles. Have a very, merry Christmas. So are you ladying about here? About the past six months. Why you going with him, man? What's up? Because I'm a New York cop. Can't just pick up and go that easy. John. Sorry, I didn't get that message. Mayday, terrorists have seized the Nakatomi Plaza. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Possible crank calls. Check the area confirmed. No signs of disturbance, dispatch. Welcome to the party, pal! Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay! You hang in there. Come on to the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. Now, actually, if you really look at the Christmas story, it's more like that. If you really unpack the Christmas story and read what goes on, it's more like that. And it certainly, even though it's sweet, is not like this. Um, Amy's okay with us being married? She was doing laundry. And then Daniel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. And you'll have to see the rest of that another time. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? But that's not Christmas. What we think we know. And sad to say, a lot of what we know comes from a movie clip here, a sweet story over here. And that's all fine and good to some degree. But it's really not unpacking the significance of the Christmas story. Um, 
Mary and Joseph were going to be meeting the parents today and what the Christmas story was for them and how they experienced it to the best we can. And there are some places we just, we just don't know. Uh, some places the blanks have been filled in, and that, that's okay, but we need to understand that the blanks have been filled in. So as uh, we meet the parents, we want to make a switch. We want to enjoy the Christmas movies, the sweetness, the kids are in wonder, but we want to make sure that doesn't get us away from the adult side of the Christmas story. And you've heard me say this a number of times recently, it's just been on my heart, is that we need to make sure, especially as we're helping kids grow in their relationship with Christ, that the kids' stories translate into adulthood. For some of us, we've wrestled with that. The nice Sunday school, kids' zone kind of story doesn't translate into adulthood. And it's supposed to. It's actually primary for adulthood in the Sunday school stories is slowly to prepare our children and kids for that moment when all the lights start to go on and they realize what it really means to follow Christ. So if we're going to meet the parents, we need to start off with the concept that they were very, very, very engaged. When we read about that in Luke, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this was a relative of Mary, her cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Nazareth, small town, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And significantly, we see the idea of a descendant of David. For someone reading this with a Jewish background, they would see Messiah all over it. They would see chosen one. They would see deliverance all over it. They would lean in when they saw a descendant of David. Many of us hear that and get the picture, but we're not at the edge of our seat when we see that descendant of David. And then also, uh, there's this idea of a virgin, and all of us kind of try to wrap our mind around what that really is. Uh, you know, in the natural, that just, that just doesn't happen. But something supernatural takes place. And if you're a student of the Bible, theology, you realize that it has to be this way. And we don't have time to go into all the theological details of it. But if this was just uh, Joseph's son or somebody else's son, the whole thing doesn't work. Because we need someone fully God, fully man, perfect lamb of God. We'll have a lot of the imagery, joy to the world, all these ideas that come out in these Christmas carols that we kind of just miss over. That, that is key. That has to take place that doesn't take place, then he was a good man. Yes, a good man died for us, but it, it just doesn't go any farther. And there has to be a resurrection, and we'll talk about that, of course, when we get into Easter season. But these things are important. But this idea of very, very engaged, because their system was different than our system. There's this idea that there's three-stage process 
Um, they, as a young age, uh, you would be pledged to be married to each other. Uh, usually this happens very young, 10, 12, uh, a girl would be pledged, and a lot of times the, 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 the husband's family would approach a family and say, hey, um, you know, I want to marry your daughter. Let's, let's set this pledge up. And it wouldn't be the son. It would be the parents orchestrating all of this. And uh, these were the good days if you had lots of daughters because usually there was some kind of dowry involved in this. So, you know, then somehow it got flipped around. You know, I've got three daughters and I want a dowry for each one of them. But uh, that's not how it goes. So there would be this pledge and th this would take take for a while. But now uh, this was the person for you. You were this was kind of set in stone. And then there would be this betrothal, and this would be like what we consider engagement today. But in this stage, it would be like they were actually married without the intimacy. So, so uh, the, they could be living in the same home with their family. Um, they would actually be considered husband and wife. If, if the husband passed away, the wife would can be considered a widow. Uh, if the engagement was broken off, there would be divorce papers fi filed. This was everything but that. And it usually was about a year. And the reason it was about a year was to see if this was going to be a righteous marriage and there was no one, uh, the, the bride to be wasn't expecting before the end of that year. And if that happened, then there was all kinds of other things that would come into play. So this was a year to see how pure everybody was in this in this relationship. And we got to remember, you know, let's just be honest. Uh, birth control has gone crazy in our society. Back then, it didn't exist. So uh, you know, there were little things, but not like it is today. So so th this was important to the whole sanctity of marriage and keeping the family line pure and all this stuff. So this would happen for a year. And they would be like Mr. and Mrs. Jones or whatever, and uh, this would just happen. And then you would have the marriage. So when we start to see things unfold, we need to realize that they have uh, not been together, but they, in every sense of the word except for that, they are married. And so that's the backdrop when we get more news about this virgin going to be expecting. Now, there's this also this other idea. How old was Moses? I mean, Moses, yeah. How old was Moses? Another story. Where did that come from? How old was Joseph? And some, you know, there's even a story where uh, Joseph is like 92. And, and Mary was like 12. And, and at least in my mind, that's yucky. But uh, there, there is some traditions that say he was that old. And, uh, you know, so how, how old was he? And, uh, you know, there's some ideas. Did, was Joseph married before and his wife passed away and he had uh, other kids from them? Because you get into this idea that um, Mary being a virgin, even after the birth of Jesus, she, she had no intimacy for the rest of her life. It was forever. And so to, to deal with the verses where it talks about Jesus' brothers and family, 
they have to come up with something else. And, uh, you, know, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, Mary uh, being a virgin for the rest of her life is true. But, uh, you know, maybe Joseph was married before and maybe he was a little older. But, again, you could actually, in this society, you could be in your 30s and actually have grandchildren. So, so, you know, 30s was an old man, 40, the life expectancy, completely different. Yes, there was older folks, but for the most people, it was. So I, I, don't, I don't like to go with the idea that, that Joseph was an old, ancient person. Uh, I, I want to say that there was attractiveness there, and I'll, I'll show you why in a, just a couple minutes. But, you know, so I would say very, very old. I, I don't think so. I don't think he was 92. Um, and you've got this verse that, again, points to the fact that Jesus had siblings, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. There's this idea, again, well, not idea, it's there. There are brothers. So were these brothers, uh, younger brothers of Jesus from Mary and Joseph, or was this Joseph's uh, prior marriage? Um, can't be totally sure, but I, but I do think that uh, Joseph and Mary um, had children after Jesus. And, uh, you know, just the, the idea of that. Um, we see that uh, Jesus needed to provide for his mother, being the oldest child. Now, again, how would this have been if he had older half-siblings? I, I don't know. But in this situation, uh, Jesus uh, is going to provide. And on the cross, he looks down, and uh, Joseph is not there. Uh, so some people say, well, see, he was dead. And, and that could be very case. But, but people died in their 20s and 30s. And so, so that's really not a good, good like, uh, that's got to be this way. So when Jesus saw his mother there, amazing that Jesus is thinking about his mother and her well-being as he's uh, dying uh, just a horrible death, whom he loves standing there. He said to the woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple, that was John, took her into his home. So there's this idea that Jesus provided that. So when I think of Joseph, I, I, don't, I don't think of him being ancient. You notice in the opener, the bumper, I purposely chose uh, uh, some clips and, and got them together where Joseph is not like this ancient guy looking like the wise men age, but he's young. And you even see that point where they're, they're, you know, they're in, they give the eyes of being in love. So, so that's, that's just my take. And the reality is you can't know. If you're honest with Scripture, it is not clear about that. It's clear about other things, so you must have to take away it's not important. But to say that it was an ancient Joseph uh, or young, it's, it's not clear. I would say naturally. Some people say, well, you don't see the parents coming into the conversation when the, the pledging is taking place. But you don't even see Mary's parents coming into, into play there. So, so you, you know, you, you, just, you just don't know. And again, I, I love, and this is going to get me in a little trouble, I love The Chosen. I love watching. It gives new dimension. But even like that, you can't, you can't base where, where they fill in the blanks, and I think they have creative license to do that. You cannot take those filled in the blanks and make them, uh, sometimes we say, the gospel, like true. You, you, they're, they're filled in the blanks, and you just need to accept that. And got to be a thinking Christian and understand uh, some of these kinds of things. You know, later on, we get into the whole idea of even the wise men. You know, you always see three wise men. Why? Because there were three gifts. Chances are there wasn't just three wise men. Those were just the gifts they brought. But again, that's how these, these things happen. And we need to just be uh, thinking Christians, thinking Christ followers and realize that. Um, also, the idea that they are very, very poor. 
which also makes me think, you know, if, if Joseph was a much older person, maybe his financial status would be a little bit more set. Uh, he would have lived his life. He would have, you know, had his whatever, farm, business, carpentry work, whatever it was, and uh, he would have had that uh, for. But we see this in the fact that when uh, Jesus is presented at the temple and the purification and all this going on, uh, they, they use uh, two young pigeons or do young doves. And th this wasn't just something you could, you could fly by the seat of your pants and get okayed for this. You had to actually, uh, you know, be known that you qualified to skip out on using a lamb and using young pigeons because you could not afford that. So, so coming into this, they are financially challenged, and, uh, but I, I, I want to say that, that they were in love with each other, and uh, some of them were living on love more than on their finances. Also, we see that the city they came from was very, very ordinary, or Nazareth, uh, Mary, uh, uh, when, when Jesus is of age and some people are discussing this, we have Nathaniel saying this, uh, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. But Philip said, come see for yourself. And the idea is that Nazareth was just uh, kind of like this, just this little place nobody knew about. Maybe 500 people lived there. Some of us are used to living in places like that. Uh, no, just, just, just incoincidental. It's just, it just, it's just not important. And uh, so, so this is where they're, they're coming from. And that this, is, this is true stuff. So if you want to know the story, you need to realize that this is uh, Jesus' background. This is uh, Mary's background. Also, probably one of the most important things is all of this coming together is very, very timely. Very timely. Uh, all the other things, you know, are nice details. But when we get into this, this moves beyond trivial pursuit things. Very, very timely is so, so important. And in Greek, they have two words for time. And one time word is chronos and the other is keros. And uh, they mean different things. And for most of us, we function with chronos. It's a, it's a calendar time. It's uh, days, weeks, months, years. It's, you know, do you, what time is it? It's very specific and, uh, you know, it's, it's important. We, we use that kind of time much more. And we actually don't have really a word for the next kind of time. And this is Kairos. And, and Kairos has this idea of pregnant, which is kind of interesting because Mary's pregnant, but uh, pregnant with eternal implication and opportunity. These are those moments that, that just come and Depending on how you answer them, depending how you function in them, they're, they're life-changing moments. And all of us have those every once in a while. There's, yes, we're building on the, the littler decisions, but every once in a while there's a, there's a moment of significance, a, a moment of time where you and I have to just say, what is going on? This is going to change the trajectory of my life, and it's going to touch other people's lives. Uh, moving to a different place, grabbing a different job, who you marry, what your parents decide. Uh, you know, some of us have uh, families that move from one part of the country to the other, and it changed everything. You have a new existence because of this big change. And this is these Kairos moments, and uh, they're just lots of opportunities. And for, for the birth of Jesus, everything was coming together. There's studies on the idea that even when it comes to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, the road system back then existed 
more and better than it, it had ever existed before. The, the possibility of getting the word out was just, was just perfect for this. All these things uh, come together. Uh, sometimes I see these little memes on uh, Facebook where they show two roads. They show a road that we've built today, and then they show a Roman road that's like 2,000 years old, and they said this road still exists and still used, and the road today you know, is, is coming apart after five years or less kind of a thing. But uh, everything was just set up perfectly for the arrival of the Messiah. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God has a plan. God is on the move. The people in Jesus' day, God had in a sense been silent for 400 years. The last scripture had been written 400 years earlier, the last real prophet 400 years earlier. And they were waiting. And we've talked prior Christmases about Elizabeth and Zechariah just waiting, waiting, waiting. People had given up on this idea of a Messiah coming because the Romans had just owned them. And yet, when the fullness of time, and I want to say even on a smaller level, a much smaller level, I mean, our lives touch other lives, but uh, probably aren't going to change history the way Jesus obviously changed history. But there's a fullness in time in our lives. There's Kairos moments in our lives. And Joseph and Mary say yes. Um, if we believe that uh, God doesn't make us into robots, Joseph could have said no. Mary could have said no. I don't want that. We're going to see that they don't say that. And so for us, we need to have eyes that are open for these, these pivotal moments in time. Uh, if we're in high school, are we going to graduate and uh, just jump right into a career? Are we going to go to trade school? Are we going to go to college? Are we going to join the military? As we get older, when do we buy our first house? Some of us uh, who were able to buy homes when the interest rates were under 3% are like celebrating that. That's a huge, that's a, that's a moment for us that uh, we're able to do that. It just changes everything. I remember when Cindy and I were first married, the house mortgage could be 12 or 14%. Whoa, how could you even do that? These, these moments of time, uh, meeting, uh, who you met, who you're married to, the decision for, for me to uh, go to this little small camp up in New Hampshire. I didn't live in New Hampshire, and uh, there I meet, meet Cindy. I, there was a little postcard at, at Liberty University that advertised a summer counseling job. It was this big on this big bulletin board. I could have missed that. If I hadn't gone there, it would have been a different life, and, and, and going there and how that all uh, unfolds. And, uh, you know, we have these Kairos moments. Uh, they just all come into play, and we, we just need to be aware of them. We need to be wise with our time. In Ephesians, we read, so be very careful how you live. Watch your step. I don't think watch your step with fear. Some of us are very anxious. And we watch every step, and it steals joy out of every step. That, that's not what Paul is saying. Be aware. Watch your step. Use your head. Live wisely, not like fools. We talked about, I think this last week, fool isn't just someone who doesn't have capacity for thinking. It's somebody who knows what's right to do and chooses to do the other. We are being foolish when we do that. When we disregard what God says, disregard where he's leading, 
we are playing the part of the fool. Not being with those uh, with no understanding. That doesn't mean, you know, all your friends have to be strong, all in Christ followers, but you do need people rowing in the same direction. If you don't have people rowing in the same direction, when it comes to making these decisions and watching your stuff, it's harder because they're going to be open to ideas that, that, that might be outside of your world. They're not, they're not functioning uh, under the authority in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want someone speaking to my life that's just not speaking from wisdom or best business practices. I want someone sp- speaking to my life who is Holy Spirit-led. And we need to have a few of these people. We also need to be out there, but we need a few of these people. I mean, you should use, your, use every opportunity you have for doing good. That's part of this. Don't step back from it. Uh, take those opportunities. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes, not your own purposes, my own purposes, because these are desperate times. Some translation says the days are evil. And the concept of that, the days are evil, is the fact that they, they, you run out of time. I don't think it's because the world is evil, which it is, but uh, you can take it either way. There's some license there and in interpretation, but I like the way uh, these translations use the word desperate times, hard times. Every day counts how we live our lives. When we think of this, this is uh, this Kairos is a time where you make a decision and then the decision makes you. I'd love to pass the mic around and hear about some of the decisions that you made that have made you. Because I guess some of the decisions I even made as a, as a middle school, junior high student. And some of those decisions changed the trajectory either in a positive way, a negative way, or just wasting my days. All our decisions, you know, when these Kairos moments come up, every, you know, whether, you know, you buy vanilla ice cream over strawberry ice cream, probably not a Kairos decision. But where you spend your time, how you spend your evenings, what do you fill your mind with, those start to have an effect. And then there's the bigger ones, the choices that we make. So then you got Mary. Talk about Mary. Amazing what Mary responds. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Do you realize what that angel was asking her? Pregnant out of wedlock. How do you you explain that? Oh, the Holy Spirit came upon me. What are you talking about? You're crazy. She's engaged, technically married, but not married. So she's, and, and people are going to think that she and Joseph got together. Just, just lots of stuff going on. And she knows all this. It's not like an afterthought. She realizes what God is asking her. But this is a careless moment. How would we respond? If God's spoken to our lives, and actually God speaks into our lives pretty regularly through his scriptures, how do we respond when we see the cost? When we see that people are going to misunderstand us, do we say, oh, I can't do that? Mary is going for it. And what's 
amazing about Mary is she must have been living some kind of life so that God took notice of her. She was growing to become the person that could carry the Savior and deliver the Savior and raise the Savior. She just didn't decide to straighten things out, align her life with God after she got the angel notice. She was doing that in process. Uh, she was, in a sense, interviewing for the job a few years earlier. And again, we're thinking she's 12, 13, maybe 14. But she's been interviewing for the job the way she's lived. Some of us wonder why we don't get the job. And I'm not talking about professionally, business uh, things coming into our lives. Sometimes it's because we've been being interviewed by the Lord for a few years. And our interview's not going too well. We're not in the move. Sometimes when I share with someone who's single and is so uh, just hurting because they don't have that special person in their life, and uh, I say, take that energy. I say, it's easy for me to say. I got married when I was 22, so I, I, I get it. Take that energy and become the person that you would want in your life once. And, and focus your energy in that and see what God does. Can't guarantee that that misright, Mr. Right will come magically into your life, but I think you're more in a position to be in relationship with that person if you're trying to become the person that that person would like. So when it comes to jobs, when it comes to being the person you want to be, uh, just someday I'll do this, and you wait for that someday to come. Start trying to be that person under the leadership of God, under the growing relationship with God, walking with God to become. And, uh, you know, again, uh, Mary uh, had a lot of things riding on her answer. Scandal, divorce, and possible death. Remember the woman caught in adultery? They wanted to stone her. Don't know where the man was, because if they caught him in adultery, the man was there, so they should have had both people. This was a setup. But scandal, divorce, and possible death. And she goes, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you will. You know, it's just, it's just so marvelous. There's a, there's a verse, I don't think I have it in here, that talks about uh, Mary just saying, uh, the angel saying to Mary, you are inside and out beautiful. And every time I come across this verse, I usually send it to my three daughters and my wife, and I say, I am just so thankful that you're beautiful inside and out. That's the kind of person that uh, God wanted to use. Mary wasn't perfect, not perfect, but was moving in that direction. Joseph, let's go through Joseph. Meet the parents. Do you really know the story? Joseph, when he finds out Mary is pregnant, I, you know, imagine how that happened. We're guessing she's not showing at this point. And uh, she has to, I'm guessing she would tell Joseph. Again, they're betrothed, so they're kind of living as husband and wife without the uh, intimacy part. And uh, Joseph knows that. I'm sure that that's hard. Uh, any of you guys have been engaged and you're waiting till you get married. That's not, those aren't easy days. Uh, those are hard days. I, I think they're definitely well worth it. Scripture teaches that. doesn't mean there's not life after that if you make some mistakes, if you sin, if you're selfish, or however you want to say it. But I, I, but I do think um, 
uh, Joseph and Mary are, are trying to do what they're supposed to do. So this comes as a shock. And so Mary probably is the one who says this and, and gives the story. So Joseph's response is he loves her. And he says, because Joseph, her husband, see, he used husband, the betrothed, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. So he had to be faithful to the law. It, it would be unrighteous for him to enter into a relationship with someone who was unfaithful. And so he wasn't going to do that. He couldn't do that. So he had two choices. He had the choice of, you know, throwing her under the bus, going, hey, look what Mary's done. She's expecting. Or doing it quietly to protect her. He has compassion for her. He loves her. Even even in the greatest betrayal that Joseph, in a sense, could experience, he had compassion for Mary. And I challenge you, I challenge you, doesn't mean you're a doormat, doesn't mean you allow bad behavior to go on, doesn't matter, all this kind of stuff, but uh, how much compassion do you have for the person you love? Do you have the same kind of passion Joseph had for Mary? could have, again, divorced her publicly or quietly. And he chooses to do quietly. And then, and then, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I think I'd need that dream a couple times. What did I eat last night? That was the craziest dream ever. But Joseph responds. So as we look at these two lives, and we look at how they navigate and walk, they live life by either reason or life by revelation. And it's the same thing with all of us. We live by reason or revelation. And when I compare revelation to reason, it's just like we throw reason out the window but there's moments where we have to live by revelation because what god leads us doesn't add up totally uh, if we lose use just reason there are certain things we wouldn't do because we're sacrificing we're giving of ourselves but then there are times where god reveals that we need to move in a different direction and so if we're a Christ follower, we're not to live by reason alone, but by revelation. When we live by reason alone, we look at what we have, we do some calculations and figure out what is reasonable, affordable, most advantageous, and do that. You know, we're in the process of looking for an associate pastor and I'm pleased to announce that we do have a candidate. And uh, we will be giving you more information as time goes on. There'll be a, a, a in the pulse this week. So if you don't get that, you might want to sign up for that. He'll be on that list. Uh, we'll be telling you a little bit more about the situation just because of his current place. We, we're not giving his name and all of that. And, but it looks like he'll be coming New Year's weekend to interview. Not the best weekend, but it works out for his schedule and his other position. So it's very exciting news, but if he functions just by reason, 
if any candidate functions just by reason, they're probably not going to pick up and leave the place they know when things are going well and come to another point. It's got to be revelation. Cindy and I love being in the Finger Lakes. But what sealed the deal wasn't a adding and subtracting and seeing what was affordable and reasonable. What sealed the deal was revelation. And it wasn't a dream. I wish it could have been a dream. I wish it could have been an email or a text or something. It was just God leading. So reason is good, but reason only gets you halfway. If you're a Christ follower and you're living just by reason and no revelation, I feel bad for you. You're not getting the full deal, the full meal deal. You're walking with God, kind of. If everything adds up, then you do it. If it doesn't add up, sorry, there's no room for faith and no room for God to work. And again, I'm not saying careless, sloppy life. If we go through scriptures, we would see that the revelation where God had people leading does build on experiences and growth and all of that. So on one hand, we could say revelation is reasonable when you're walking with God. But if it's all reason, we live in a just not a great place. Revelation, we go to God and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? And that's the question. Maybe not exactly like that, that this candidate is asking. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do with my life? How do you want me to give? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? And uh, revelation, and if all the pieces, if God's leading in this direction, if we affirm the vote when a come time comes, and we're going to say all these pieces, they got to sell a place, they got to buy a place, they got to school decisions, all this kind of stuff, and it just goes. <laughs> but amazingly, We'll see God fill in all those pieces. And it'll be awesome to see that happen if this person or whoever the person is when it all comes together. You have stories in your life where you took a step not just of reason but of revelation and the pieces fell into place. This doesn't mean, again, to be foolish. doesn't mean to go, oh, I'm going to stand at a cliff and jump and see what God does. You know, not those kind of, but but. Revelation, what is God leading me to do? Honestly leading you. I've had people who do the God's leading me to do this, and it, it, there's other passages in Scripture that don't jive with what they're doing, and you go, whoa, you know, and then there's other things, but, but what is God leading me to do? What is God revealing me to do? So if God sent you a messenger, what would you do? I'm going to say God sent you. Sometimes you hear it sounds a little hokey, but it's very true. God has sent you a love letter. All the scriptures. When I got love letters from Cindy, I would read them over and over again. I'd read behind the, between the lines. What does that mean? Ooh, she really loves me. Ooh, she wants to share this. She's got to send one back now. I got to do one. And she says, oh, man, I, you know, read it a zillion times. So I collect, I have like tons of these birthday cards, anniversary cards, and, you know, sometimes I try to compare them, see, hmm, I'll 
That's why I looked on the back to see how much she spent on that car. I am usually spend a lot more money on my cars. I'm a 7 to $10 car guy. And she goes, why do you spend so much money? Why not make it? Anyway. But you read them over and over again. You have God's love letter. You have a message from God. And if you're struggling with how do I put all those things together, I'm going to just say very practically, you need to go through the growth process. It's all in there. This is just to get you moving in that direction. If you haven't done it, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a zillion years or two zillion years, it still might be good for you to go through that, kind of like recalibrate uh, you know, how I should be growing and helping. You know, There's plenty of stuff like that, information about that in the program. You, you, ought, to, you ought to do that. function on my iPad here. Um, can you um, forward to the next slide, please? All right. Respond with trust and absolute confidence. So you get this message and you trust it and you have absolute confidence. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has this. We go, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. We have next slide, please. And it talks about this. It says, completely and don't depend on your own knowledge with every step you take think about what he wants and he will help you go the right way and i we don't have time to do this but if you're serious about this you ought to look at the first four verses and look at the rest of the verses down to verse 12 there's some i don't want to say conditions but there's some process in there if you're going to do this there's some other ideas. We like this because it kind of makes us feel good. But you've got to read the rest of the story. Next slide, please. Let's go. Accept that you are his even to death. Wow. That's going for the, doesn't get any harder than that. That's what Mary did. There was a real possibility when she was found out that she was expecting, and the answer, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, didn't hold water, that she could be in danger of losing her life. We see this in some other cultures even today, that when there's these ideas and the shame of the family, uh, women are in danger. That, that's totally unacceptable. The guy somehow gets a pass most of the time, but the woman doesn't. That, that's, you know, if you're going to take one, you ought to take both of them out, right? No. Be fair. No, it's just it's just unbelievable. So but Mary was risking that by saying, yes, next verse, please. If you come to me, but will not leave your family, you cannot be my follower. You must love me more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, even more than your own life. Remember when I decided to be a pastor, believe it or not, my mother wasn't totally excited about that. If she had known a bunch of pastors and had known some of the fun they have being a pastor, and she didn't, she wanted to save me from that. She said, "Be ser- make sure this really is of God, and and not you just wanting to be this as an expression of of following Christ, because it's not the ultimate expression of following Christ. Sometimes we make things that lead to that, and she wanted me to be sure because, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I I know some friends that um, had real obstacles." to becoming whatever they were going to become following Christ because of their family, even making the decision to follow Christ, not even going to be a missionary or pastor, they would come down hard on them. But more than all those other people in your life, Jesus is first. 
Next concept, please. Next point. Be prepared to embrace inconvenience and self-denial. I, I mean, that is so un-American, right? We're trying to order our life so that it is convenient. And there is no self-denial. Completely opposite. Completely opposite. When was the last time you were inconvenienced for the cause of Christ in your life and denied yourself? Only you can answer that question. Only you can evaluate the weight of that. Um, And you can't say, oh, this morning I had to get up early to come to church and that was inconvenient. It's got to be a little bit broader or heavier than that. But uh, if you're going to live by revelation versus reason, you have to be prepared to embrace. Not begrudgingly take it, but embrace inconvenience and self-denial. Verse, please. Whoever will not carry their cross, this is given to them. When they follow me, cannot be my follower. Now, some would say, this means you can't be a, you're not a Christ follower. And uh, that, that might be in some cases, but, but if you're a Christ follower, you need to be a good Christ follower. So there's a cross that we all have to carry. Not the little necklace we wear as a, as a sign of, uh, you know, whatever. Um, early church would be horrified to see us wearing crosses around our neck. I'm not saying that's wrong, so don't, <laughs> you know, don't say that. I, but I'm just saying different culture, different idea. But carrying your cross. Can you even identify what it is? Um, Jesus accepted his cross with delight because he knew what it was going to accomplish. Doesn't mean you go out there and find a cross just to be like a masochist, but uh, it means that all of us should have something we're carrying. And you probably ought to be able to identify it. And sometimes, you know, identifying the cross we're carrying is just between you and the Lord. A lot of times with me, I don't, I don't share with other people because that's just the cross I'm, I'm called to carry. And that's not to sound, you know, real pious or whatever, but uh, I don't want to be a complainer about it. I don't want to do that. Uh, next slide, please. Um, Joseph, the original cross he had is he was engaged, living like he was the husband of Mary, and he couldn't be intimate with her until after Jesus was born. And, uh, you know, that, oh, that's no big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Us older folks remember those days. It's a big deal waiting. And uh, Joseph waited. And uh, that was inconvenient. That was uh, just, you know, it is. And, and so it gets as real as that. Next slide, please. Moses, uh, you can read this on your own. Inconvenient embraces it, uh, just uh, just amazing the change. He goes from being fair, living as Pharaoh's son to, to being a shepherd. That's, that's a huge, in his 40s, like he should be in his stride. This is when, you know, life should be successful. And from 40 to, to 80, he lives that kind of a life. Next, please. So bottom line is choosing reason or revelation reveals your reason. It reveals your reason for being. It reveals what you're about. Christmas. What do you know about the story? Mary and Joseph, the parents, functioned by revelation, not by reason. And because they did, because they did, 
you and I are sitting in this today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gift of your son. We're thankful for Mary and Joseph. We're thankful for their special moment of time, and they functioned well. We ask that you would help us to do the same, that we would see where we're living more by reason than revelation, that when those moments come, those Kairos moments, pregnant with opportunities, we would take them and not shrink back. We ask all of this in your name.